Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. I am here live and local, 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I do go down the rabbit hole, but I just got a call from Maurice before the break, who was always down in the rabbit hole with me, maybe a little bit further or in a different rabbit hole, but I could get where he's coming from. And he thinks that, uh, if I understood correctly, that the Mueller probe was really about preventing Trump from going after Hillary by making it look like uh, he was just trying to stand in the way of their investigating him. But this kind of thinking really brings the whole thing down to a level of partisanship or Trump is Batman, where he's this superhero who somehow finagled his way into the White House. And I just I think that we aren't we haven't experienced what's called a paradigm shift. We have not changed the true power structure in this country. And that that would imply, like when they call the deep state Obama holdovers, that is not true. The deep state is who killed Kennedy, not who glued the keys down on the um, keyboard for Bush. Remember that when Clinton yielded to Bush, the staffers had like, destroyed the White House offices. They glued the keys down they so glued messed the keys. up typing? Yes. So like <laughs> that would just mess people. It's just like pure partisanship. But I, I just don't think that's where the rubber hits the road. I think it's a much higher level thing where you can call them globalists, you can call them whatever. But there's a vision out there that you can see through the UN sustainability and all that of a highly controlled society where probably most of the means of production for our necessities, like land where you could grow your own food, are taken offline and you're all in cities. And I think we're talking about the Mueller report, but really the Electoral College and the other things that are going to be prompted by the crisis this is creating, air quotes, the uh, that that the vision includes and the infrastructure of Trump, I bet, is going to fall in line with this. The Green New Deal falls in line with this. The uh, U.N. Agenda 2030 falls in line with this. It's that there are these sustainable cities. The, the cities are where the action is, that you take people out of the of the rural areas, you take them out of the farmlands. And you put them into the cities where they are truly dependent. You even like don't have them have their own cars, like uh, driverless cars that are Ubers or whatever. You're not owning them. That's where we're moving. And here's the here's the real kicker. Unrelated to that vision, I thought just 
thought about what the Electoral College would do if it were eliminated and yielded to a popular vote. So I was reading in one of the many articles that basically said the same thing over and over again. It would totally ignore Ohio, uh, Iowa farmers and Ohio factory workers. I thought, okay, what if it does that? What if it takes all the money at the federal level, subsidizes unskilled workers in or workers in the urban environments by subsidizing them you give them basic income you give them all their public transportation all this kind of stuff because you're just pandering to the urban areas with the electoral college fits right in with the basic income stuff which is just give everybody a check what that does is it actually subsidizes the labor pool for what are probably you know what are increasingly government protected oligopolies so businesses that function in a highly regulated environment so that startups can't really compete with the people who are already in that. Those That's called regulatory capture. They capture their own regulations. They capture the government. And so you have, if you have the popular vote, all the voting that makes a difference go to the urban centers because it's just one vote per person. So if you're a farmer or you're in Ohio and a factory, your needs are different. What you want is something different. But because of the nature of your business, your factory, your farm, it's more spread out. There are few people there who need those things, but they're essential elements of society, of the economy as it is. So when those people, and it even comes down to like where you spend infrastructure money, on metros, or on interstate highways, you know, it's it's where are are you are you fostering road travel or air travel? Like what? And and if the federal government were limited as it's supposed to be under the Constitution, this stuff would not make the big difference, but it does. So what happens when you start penalizing the Iowa farmer and the Ohio factory worker? Well, those guys stop doing what they're doing, and they st- maybe stop having kids because they just don't have the surplus for it, or their kids move to the cities where it's a better trade-off. That fits right in with what I remember. I can't find it now, but I remember Clinton saying that the goal of NAFTA was to create a, that the United States economy would be increasingly, if not and majority, if not 100 percent service oriented. It was meant to do that. So as the people move into these sustainable cities, you have this visionary society where you don't have people who can build things or grow things. And and that plays right into this idea of the high technology of robots. And that is pure central control. Like, you get what I mean? Is that too far? No, yeah, I, I see. They can't build things. They can't do things. But they can vote. Yeah, but but all they're voting for, they're, they're, by that point, and I, it's not that I'm watching too much sci-fi. It's I see it. If you go and look at the World Economic Forum or the Sustainable City or the UN stuff, if you just go to those websites, it's all there. Yeah. It's all there. And they're talking about it. They have symposiums and the headlines of the symposiums, like how to eliminate cars. Atlanta is one of the yes, main cities on the in that steering program. committee. Yeah. Kasim Reed was all over that stuff. And people didn't even realize it. I was just trying to figure out what those... Um, tea splossed and everything we're all about. And I discovered all of these sustainable goals and how Atlanta had stepped up for the UN to, to on its own dime, be a kind of leading city, an experimental city almost in this stuff. So that's like the very, very big picture. And John waits. I appreciate it, John. I want to hear what you, I, I want, bring us back down to earth, John, with your view of popular versus, versus electoral. You are on the air with Monica. Okay, I'll make mine short. Okay, if you have a popular vote, popular vote will lead to a single entity leader. 
So it'll be a group. It can be the Democrats, it could be the Republicans, it could be everyone. You'll have one power. They'll be making the rules. Okay? Yep. At the point the people are tired of listening to those people, they'll rise up. When the socialism, because that's the direction you're headed, socialism, if you pull the Democrats. You know, one leader will go to socialism. Socialism does not work, and I'll describe socialism in a very simple terms. You're my child, and you want a Lexus. But I don't want to give you a Lexus, so you have to go work for it. There becomes a point where the government says, well, we don't have the money to give you. Who are we going to take it from? Once you start taking money from people like me who have saved all their life and retired, I'm not going to let you. I would burn every dime I own before I would let the government take it away from me. But that's what they want to do. So you lead to socialism. You create chaos. Well, then the government comes and says, wait a minute, we can't have this. So we're going to tell you what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it. What is that? That's communism when somebody tells you when, where, and how to jump. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll Step say, away from communism. There's two now, things that I... Go ahead. You, want, you can finish. And now, you can decide any way you want, okay? Socialism cannot work. It will never work. It doesn't physically, it's impossible to work. Communism doesn't either. Because no matter what you say, there's going to be somebody in charge. There will always be somebody right. who tells somebody, somebody what to property. do. Somebody owns the property. It's just not you. Somebody's going to tell you what to do. Right. right. People don't like to be told what to do. Those right. millennials that think socialism wonderful and they're going to get this free paycheck and this free this and they're free this. As soon as there is no free because there's no money. If I'm paying 50% of my money working and 50% of my money is going to give you a free job or a free work or a free salary, I don't want to work anymore. Well, it is possible, so I'm not going to work and you're going to pay me. It is, you won't have any money. It is possible that there's no that there is a paradigm shift underway where the people who did work all their lives and would revolt against it are are not the culture the forward-looking culture that maybe millennials or the iGen who are glued to their phones or whatever they haven't made it yet so they're not going to resist taking it away they're the ones who think they're going to get it with free college and that kind of thing then you have, so when they talk about the basic income, which I really feel is going hand in hand with this popular vote movement, just in my gut, those people are are going to give up. They, they are saying the reason they want the basic income is that is that robots and other technology is going to replace human beings who are workers. So so then what what are you looking at? You're looking at what Kissinger called useless eaters. It, and there has been euthanasia and genocide in the past for people who are perceived as useless groups. Could be economic, could be ethnic. And then there's also slavery. So if you have a basic income and you don't want to work, but work needs to be done still because there's a robot for everything, they need to tell you what to do. And you can't quit. There was a, there was a, a law in the books in England after World War II like that. So I don't think they activated it, but you're talking about totalitarian situations now we i want to talk about the basic income thing if we get to it today uh because people on the right also advocate for it but i think it's a setup and i do want to talk more about the uh the Mueller report the people we're talking about here Mueller, Barr, uh 
the the reason I said earlier that I don't think there's any there there. The only Russian bots that have been proven to exist were Democrat operatives. Do you remember Binkley and I did a show about that? We'll we'll remind you of that coming up. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. This is Monica Perez. Uh... Binkley and I were just dishing on the commercial that all these like implications of if we switched from the electoral college to the popular vote. And I want to, I mean, there's just really what I was saying before the break, that if you peel the onion a little bit and think about what happens next stage, it really has a, will have a massive social engineering impact. I thought of a couple more things as we were going back and forth, but I want to get to the calls too. So um, I'll get to, our new thoughts at the bottom of the hour. Right now, I want to get to some calls, 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. I'm going to Robert. Robert, you are on with Monica. Hey, Monica. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I like the idea of the Electoral College, but I like the way that Maine and Minnesota do it, where they don't apportion all of the votes to that state, but they apportion... Uh, I believe the way Maine does it is they apportion two votes to the winner and then two, one a piece to the congressional district. And I, I think, think do they do it like that, or do they do it? Do they do? So you're saying they they do the congressional district gets the vote that the popular vote in that district. Debate, yeah. Right, and uh-huh. then the senators so go district. with what the popular the majority of the state, right? Yeah, I guess that's how it works. I mean, I, I'm calling them the senators, but like Rhode Island has three electoral votes, which correspond to a congressman and two senators, something like that. Right. Whatever right. It is. Yeah. And I think Maine has two too many, yeah. um, con- congressional districts and two other votes. Right. Which so they have four total. To the center. So, yeah, and you, I think so Minnesota way- does the same way. If you read, I think the I think the Constitution still says it like this, and this is how it was in the beginning. The states get to decide how the electoral system works for them, and until exactly. you know, in the beginning, it, the popular vote wasn't even a factor, and until the until after the Civil War, South Carolina still did not appoint its electors in a popular fashion. That's and right. I, and I was reading about the origin of it, and it says that it was meant, uh, it wasn't really meant to be popular to the point where I believe the electors did not meet in D.C. They met in their mm-hmm. states and they sent their votes to D.C. So there was absolutely no way you were going to have even a majority of electors. People keep citing John Quincy Adams as the first person who didn't win the popular vote and became president. There wasn't even a popular vote. He didn't win the electoral college and he became president. Mm-hmm. Wrap your mind around that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank so you what the, do you think oh, of sorry, that? Yeah. Uh, do you yeah. think it would be, I mean, I I, realize, I agree with you, it is up to the states, but um, do you like the idea of the states doing it that way? I, yeah, look, sorry, I have to cut to a break. Um, let me ponder that over the uh, break and let you know what I think at the bottom of the hour. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. It's a man A man On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB Saturdays from 3 to 6. We are talking about the Mueller investigation and what I think are the implications of that, which is calls to eliminate the Electoral College and to censor social media for political speech. Those are the two things I think are coming from this attempt to delegitimize the president, uh, which happens, I think, every presidency, basically. It has for a while. And then I further appealed the onion to say what would happen if you got rid of the Electoral College. And I have some real ideas about that, but whether we've got a lot to cover. Before the break, a caller asked me if I like the way Maine, for example, splits their electoral votes according to uh, how their congressional district voted popularly. And I would say I'm a big fan of states' rights. You should be able to do it however you want, however you want to do it in your state. But I think it's probably not a good idea because... A president who wants to be reelected probably cares a lot more about Ohio than they care about Maine. And not only because Maine has few votes, but because even the votes they have will not be concentrated. A swing state puts all their eggs in one basket and you want that basket. So I just feel like it wouldn't probably catch on because it's not in the best uh, interest of the of that state as a whole which may have more common aligned interests than they do with the federal. But Binkley, my uh, researcher and sidekick and producer, you uh, have been following a movement. What's it called again? The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. It's more more popular than I thought. Tell me real quick what what that is. Well, it's an agreement that states can opt into and once they reach once they reach 270 electorals so that many states that equal that amount of of electorals opt into it then it enacts and what happens then is those states agree that they will give their electorals to the popular vote winner so they can create a popular vote situation winner because even if all the other states voted differently they had just they had that's like one a swing block basically yes and okay 12 states and the district of columbia have have adopted it the most recent i believe was colorado and they have 181 electorals that they represent 181 well to me that's really disenfranchising who you are i Mm -hmm. mean your own people so i would think that only people who are aligned with those urban centers in their interests would want to sign up for that. Yeah, and they're pushing that hard because that's a way to subvert the electoral without having to amend the Constitution. And the urban centers, it's that it's that barbell of like kind of socialism and fascism where you pay off the lower classes, but that actually subsidizes the government-connected rich, because I think of it that way anyway. Like, I think of Obamacare. Yes, it feeds insurance companies, but it also makes it so that corporations that might otherwise have to entice people with health benefits don't have to. The taxpayer subsidizing it instead of the company. And that's the kind of thing, even public transportation, I think of like that. You really don't have to, like, the subsistence wage is much lower. You don't need a minimum wage. You just need to have a labor force that can show up to work healthy and clean. And if you're not paying that, 
you're going to have to start paying that or you're not going to get your labor force. But the more services they put in, infrastructure they subsidize, uh, you know, but I'm I'm not for any of that. I'm for a, a purely free market, which would without then the government goes ahead and keeps barriers to entry up that keep the competition down for those oligopolies. And uh, everybody wins, you know, but who's who's suffering? Really, it would be the middle class that pays a big tax bill and doesn't and has a car like doesn't need that other stuff. And those people will have to kind of uh, if they're smart, their economic interests will be to gravitate towards one or the other group, probably the working class group. It'll be bottom heavy anyway. So but two other things I thought of that would happen if you switch from electoral to popular one is, and I think I think this was is true, but if it's not, it's it, it's a hypothetical. But I believe it was true that a contributing factor to the start of the Civil War was I could be wrong about it, but in any case, the hypothetical works. The North enacted tariffs against the import of British textiles or whatever. The, because the North had a disproportionate ability to vote to legislate, they could control the legislatures. They enacted a tariff from. British textiles. So the British market collapsed or the British got less and therefore demanded less cotton from the South, which made the price of cotton plummet and made the North able to buy cheaper cotton from the South, enriching the North at the expense of the South. Now, even if that isn't exactly what happened, that is the danger. So what do you do? You actually collapse the region that didn't have the have the weight. And that is basically what happened in the South. And we got rid of slavery along the way, which is fantastic. Might have happened anyway without firing a shot as it did in other places. But uh, so I'm not opining on that. I'm just saying if that if you're trying to change the economy or collapse a region like Ohio factory workers or Iowa farmers and you start enacting things that penalize them, their system is going to disappear because they're not going to have the ability to actually correct that. And then they're going to disperse or adopt your system. And then the other thing is there are these human rights agencies. It's called the human rights industry. There are private companies that place refugees and immigrants. And what they do, I believe it works this way, they will get a group of people like I think Cape Verde Islands feeds Brockton Massachusetts and they they just help set up communities of immigrants in different places so if you and the government I believe the federal government pays for it even though they're private companies so if you if you don't have any regional representation you could and and say the coastal places get a lot of immigration in they maybe they want immigration because it lowers wages, let's say, but they don't want to host so many. So they will they can funnel that uh, immigrant communities into the regions, perhaps. I'm just saying these are these are just ideas of like how you could actually have a great social and cultural impact on the country. It could be a great tool for social engineering if you had regions that emptied out or were powerless and then you could even conduct social experiments in those places. I just feel like the implication of eliminating the electoral college goes a lot deeper than people are thinking. Uh, anyway, so let's let's hit some calls. I'm going to Glenn. Glenn, you're on with Monica. It's a pleasure and honor to speak with you, Monica. Uh, riding on the coattails of what you just said, uh, after several cycles of not having uh, electoral college, I can see that certain geographical areas would be in an uproar 
because of lack of representation. And I can actually see circumstances similar to 1860 where these areas could possibly uh, be looking at secession and uh, with slavery in reverse because these populated areas are subsidizing workers and people like that, and that's creating a slave class all in its own right now. And so there, I think there's a... Huh? Tax slave, like tax slavery. Yes. Yeah, they'd be, they'd be uh, stuck with the system there, and they'd have to uh, go along with it. And I think there's a large group of people that would be uh, very much jaded that they're not getting proper representation. That's and that could call for secession. Yeah. yeah, see, I didn't, I, I guess, I recognize what you're saying, and I, and I, when I look at the new generations, I feel like the, between the the influence of the media and electronics and the schooling, I'm not sure the next generation who would be looking at this would kind of have the gumption to uh, ask for regional sovereignty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if they would actually do it, but I, I appreciate the idea, and I think that may be the next step. And, I, and if it were abrupt and those changes were obvious, but a lot of times... These things will happen slowly, incrementally. Like, I always feel like the whole world basically is losing their gun rights. But the jackboots can't clamp down until they get ours. So people are like, oh, look what happened in Australia. Nothing bad happened there. So now it's happening in New Zealand. Like, it'll be fine. They, the government will not abuse their unfettered power. But I'm saying they keep that stuff at bay until it's too late. Like there are cameras everywhere, cameras on every street corner looking for supposedly people running red lights. Well, they can see everything. They could t- ticket you for talking on the phone uh, in your car, any of that. But they do not show their hand that they, you are under constant surveillance. If they start sending you 10 tickets a day for all the little things you're doing wrong taking your hands off the wheel or whatever, you'd be wise to it. And you wouldn't let them continue to build out the total surveillance state. They, they wait for it to be turnkey and then they're going to turn the key. So I don't know if they're going to, if they'll give us that chance to fight back. Uh, I am going to go to, is it Mike? I think Mike, Mike, you're on with Monica. Hey Monica, it's Mike. Uh, um, well, I too, am glad you're back. Uh, anyway, um, uh, I was just, uh, I'm uh, going to say that uh, very simply that I think the Mueller investigation basically would have happened uh, if an outsider, other than Trump, say on the Democratic side, would have happened as well. I think that's the whole point was if, if you're not in the political family, so to speak, because I think it's pretty much all one anyway, um, that uh, if you're going to be an outsider and come in here, this is what you're going to see the whole time you're here. And I, I think that's, you know, pure, pure and simple. And I mean, I know other things probably came about during that, but they had to do something. You can't let this outsider come in and, and run a country as it was designed to be done. Um, it's it, I think that's pure and simple. That, what, uh, was, yeah, that's an that interesting, interesting idea. So I guess uh, either, you know, could be punishment. It could be keeping him in line. It could be a deterrent to future upstarts not to get out of line, even if my uh, skepticism about Trump's authenticity is well-placed or misplaced, it still could be a, a disincentive to wade into that. But Maurice, who ca- called earlier, is back on the phone. I think, I think he's going to slap me down. 
I don't know. Let's see after the break. Hang on, Maurice. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. If you're just tuning in, we've been talking about the Mueller report. And Maurice, one of my favorite callers, was going down a rabbit hole. I'm not in. So he's calling back to, are you defending your your rabbit hole? Are you trying to drag me into it, Maurice? (laughs) No, I was just, uh, well, (laughs) uh, I guess I am defending it. But um, I, uh, you know, like you, have been going down these rabbit holes since 9-11 to a serious degree. And, uh, you know, I'd say up until, you know, a year or so ago, I was totally depressed that the uh, Agenda 21s and all of that stuff was going to be totally implemented. And so what I'm getting at here is that if you don't think that it can be better, I know, you know, you are part of the solution, you know, free speech is. And uh, what I'm saying is that, you know, you can't not think it's going to get better, which is basically, as you see all these different corruptions happening, um, you know, it it puts a damper on the, the creative spirit of, of humanity. Yes. Um, no, I got to so, say, like, like, false hope is bad, but hopelessness is a sin. Exactly. And uh, so I just think... Uh, there is hope, and I've, I've never been more hopeful uh, in my whole life that things are changing for the better. I mean, just, uh, you know, take this uh, harebrained concept, and of course Trump is uh, uh, twists everybody's brain around because they, they've been so radicalized, but, you know, that he, I believe he's seriously going to try and take down the Federal Reserve. So, you know, it's that big of a deal that well, I'm I have a question for you, Maurice. Yeah. Sorry, because I'm going to run out of time. and I really want to ask this question. So maybe I don't have faith in Trump, but with very little reservation, I mean, there's always a chance you see a little hand sign here or there. But uh, Ron Paul, were you? I mean, I was smoking his Kool-Aid. I kind of still am. I love Ron, Ron Paul. Ron, I was definitely a Ron Paul guy. Okay. I, you know, I voted for him the whole nine yards, but... The thing is, the the corruption is much worse than what you're even discussing. And uh, so it has to be dealt with differently. And, and you know, I don't, uh, you know, whether you want to subscribe to this, but I totally think that Trump is not doing this on his own. Just, you know, people talk about everybody being a puppet. I don't think, a, 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 you know, Trump is a front for a group of people that decided to change from the corruption. Um, And, you know, the story is that there are 23 generals that talk to him, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if you heard any of this kind of thing. I can't. uh, Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know the I, I have to go to heartbreak, but I do not know the what's supposedly the real story behind all that, all those I'll try to have an open mind, and I'll try to be less hopeless. Thanks for calling back, Maurice. And uh, we're going to get into some more of the labyrinth after the break. This is Monica Perez.